Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Healing the Nations podcast, your podcast on civil and religious liberty and end time events. And we have a returning guest here today. We have Dr. Eric Walsh. Dr. Walsh, thank you so much for returning. No problem. Thank you for having me. Dr. Walsh, can you update us on what you're doing lately? Well, I, you know, obviously I, I'm still doing ministry and preaching um, and trying to, you know, let my light shine uh, on the one hand. And on the other hand, as a physician um, and public health person dealing with the COVID pandemic, seeing lots and lots of patients. Um, and unfortunately, having to have grappled with a lot of death over the last year and a half in families and patients and um, even in our Adventist community uh because of COVID. So just really been been kind of plowed to the ground front lines during this pandemic. Now, last year during the early stages of the pandemic, you shared in my podcast that you were hesitant about a potential COVID vaccine. What are your thoughts about the vaccine today now that it's widely distributed? Well, uh, I guess I can sum it up pretty quickly and just say I've been vaccinated myself. Um, I did look at the, you know, some of the early studies and data and I decided to be vaccinated and especially since I was at increased risk of getting COVID um, because of where I worked and the patients that I saw. What is the turning point in the data that convinced you to get it? Well, I looked at the safety profile, side effects, and the things that people, that they reported. And when I looked at it, uh, I realized, you know, based on what I was seeing in patients who got COVID, um, you know, I, I, would, I would rather take my chances, for me personally, with the vaccine and with COVID itself, I, I really didn't want to get COVID because I saw some young uh, people get COVID and, and really have some bad outcomes. Um, so, you know, I, I decided I would I'd get the vaccine. The other thing is, especially at that phase, it was, you know, you really didn't want to get COVID and bring it home to someone else or, or spread it to someone at church or whatever. So, um, you know, I was doing it first and foremost because I thought it was safe for me and would protect me, but I also really wanted to protect other people. Now, there are some Seventh-day Adventists that believe that the vaccine has harmful substances and violates the health message, that this is a test of Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 3. Does the vaccine have harmful substances or morally objectionable substances such as fetal tissues? Well, I can answer on the fetal tissues. The two vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer, that I referred to earlier, definitely do not have fetal tissue in them. And they do not really have any harmful substances, at least not in any quantity that, that you know, that would be a harmful to, to a human being. The question around Daniel 1 and Daniel 3 is a good question. And I think, um, for me, uh, we're, when you're dealing with Daniel 1 and Daniel 3, you're dealing with moral absolutes. And, you know, like the Ten Commandments, not bound down to idols, um, uh, not eating foods that have been forbidden. And I don't think, for me personally, the, vi the vaccine does not rise to that standard. There's no pork in the vaccines or unclean things in the vaccine and um you're not being asked to, to bot onto an idol and i think part of that for me is just you know since you, since most of us grew up in the, in the especially in the states you've had to be vaccinated every level of education starting from preschool and elementary school to high school to college to medical school and even to work um, in medicine you have to get vaccinated and this vaccine is wrong then all of those vaccines would have been wrong. And no one ever even asked before about a vaccine being wrong. So, you know, there's not one COVID vaccine. There are a lot of them and more of them will probably come to market in the United States. So it's not like 
standing in front of an idol as the three Hebrew boys, um, the, you know, if, let's say you really just don't like these vaccines. Well, at some point, there may be a vaccine that comes along that you are okay with. And that's so that, again, it's not an absolute in that case. I do not support the mandates. I think the mandates backfire um, in a sense because I think it just makes people more hesitant, nervous about the vaccine. I understand why governments want to do it, but I think the governments should have done a much better job explaining and educating and being transparent to the population and citizenry around why the vaccines would be helpful in explaining the risk-benefit ratio of those vaccines. Now, there are Seventh-day Adventists that believe that this is a religious liberty issue because it's a violation of our health message. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't see how it's a violation of our health message because growing up Seventh-day Adventist and listening to hours and hours and hours of health meetings and messages, I've never heard someone say that a vaccine violates our health message. I've never heard that until these vaccines now. So I don't see that. I mean, maybe to them that is the case. But to be a religious liberty issue and as someone who's really had to deal with a very strong religious liberty issue around freedom of speech and um, the freedom to believe what you want to believe and dealing with government when, when in both in, in that case, the two different governments, I, I don't see that this way. A religious liberty issue to me is a moral absolute it's like the Ten Commandments. A vaccine, like I said, the information about it, how much we know about it is going to constantly change, which means people's opinions about it are going to change. And so what right now might seem like a, a very scary, horrifying vaccine, in five years, we may look back and say, eh, this vaccine was not just safe, but it saved a lot of lives. I mean, maybe it goes the other direction, but we don't know that. And for that reason, I don't personally do not see it as a religious liberty issue. And again, um, you know, I'm careful as to what I call a religious liberty issue. I would be careful to water down um, religious liberty because we are about to head into some real times of trouble and real religious liberty issues, which you can't run from. You can't go to Texas or Florida and avoid mandates and vaccines, which you can do right now. There are parts of the world you can go and get away from vaccines and vaccine mandates. Um, you know, and so this isn't like what's coming. What's coming in the world is absolute. It's everywhere. It will be ubiquitous. And there will be no running from those religious liberty issues when um, the beast of Revelation 13 sets that up. Do the vaccine mandates have any prophetic implications? They're yes and no. So no, in that there have always been vaccine mandates. Most of us have had to get vaccines to go to school, college, medical school, um, to travel. You know, there are parts of the world you can't enter the country unless you have a yellow fever vaccine and other vaccines. You can't enter some countries unless without malaria prophylaxis, um, even though that's usually not mandated. Um, so, no, in that regard, just this mandate and this this push that they're doing, even though, again, I don't think we should be mandating it, it is proportional to the challenge at hand. We are in the middle of a global pandemic that is real. Some people are saying it's not real. It's a real pandemic. And I've seen the patients to prove that it's it's a real pandemic. The ICUs at our hospitals are full um, of these patients. So, you know, and have been. Um, so it's a real pandemic. And the response is that way. Um, but in another way, it is prophetic in the way that it does show you the power of government. And I know some people are like, wow, this is the, if we don't stop the government now, they'll do, you know, it'll only get worse. Well, first of all, it's going to have to get worse. There is no stopping it getting worse. We are, we understand the prophetic stream and we know 
that the governments are going to overreach. Again, that beast of Revelation 13, the two beasts of Revelation 13, are really going to make sure that all the world wonders after the beast. And at some point, are not you know, no one's going to be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast. But what this prophetically, to me, it shows is the power of government, the power of corporations. Um, but those powers, again, they've always existed. Um, but from a prophetic standpoint, this is a reminder. Remember, the U.S. government drafted people to go to war against their will. It goes into your paycheck every two weeks or week or month or whatever you get paid, takes taxes out. And the government has the power to take your money and spend it how they feel. They can spend it on weapons and bombs and um, even things that we find morally um, averse and that we would never want our money to go to. The government can do that. So, you know, prophetically, it reminds us that the governments do have great power. But this power is not new. It's not brought about by COVID. Um, these are the powers the government always had. The Apostle Paul tells us that we should respect the authority of the governments. Um, Sister White does the same thing. And it's, and it's a difficult thing because, you know, we don't we will not always agree with the government. And that's why Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. Because um, there's going to be things governments do um, that, you know, whatever country in the world you live in, you're not going to agree with the government all the time from a Christian moral perspective. So from that perspective, it's, it's prophetic. But I don't think this, there's anything new here. This is just reminding us of all the powers the government has always had and that will one day be turned against believers. Now, there's some naysayers about the pandemic that states that only 1% of the population who've contracted COVID have died and that this pandemic is just a mere power grab among government and that it's not as serious as people portray it to be. What are your thoughts on that? Let me start by saying, um, I think her name was Naomi Klein had a great book about power grabs and governments. And I'm trying to remember the name of it. I have a sermon named after it. But basically, whenever there's a catastrophe, a natural disaster, people with power are going to try and capitalize on it. It doesn't mean that the actual disaster or calamity isn't real. Like I've, I've said to others, you know, I have a cousin who was intubated for over a week at 46 years of age. Um, we've had families here where we practice. Um, there was a family in their 30s. The, the husband and wife died two weeks apart leaving their teenage boys orphaned. You know, if you work and see this firsthand in healthcare, you know it's real. So I don't know how people can say that, except that maybe they just live, you know, away from, you know, having to be on the front lines or really see any impact of it. What I will say, though, is when people say it's only 1% of people who die, uh, I remind them that, you know, if you take the populations of the United States and Canada, you get close to 400 million people. And 1% of 400 million people is 4 million people. And if you are the government, you do not want to be the one that sat there and did nothing while 4 million people died. Now, you may not agree with the government's response. You may see power grabs and money being made by pharmaceutical companies, all of which is true. But it doesn't mean that there's some some nefarious workings. There are good people trying to save lives, and maybe they don't have the best approach, but they're trying to do something. And so, you know, to naysay and and to say that it, it isn't real, I think it's dangerous. Um, and I think a lot of people have died um, because they, they said, well, this isn't real, and continue to um, take risks and, and do things and contracted the virus and, and have actually died. So I don't know how you... And after all this time, you still think this isn't real. But, um, you know, if, if you don't believe it's real, I guess that that's on you. Is natural immunity a valid alternative to vaccination? 
In a sense, yes, but in another sense, absolutely not. And the reason it is in a sense is because if you survive a coronavirus infection and you have a good immune system, you will get immunity to the virus. That's we know that. Um, the problem is the risk of the of contracting the virus and getting disease. Based on the studies, the the risk of getting the disease is greater than getting the vaccine, um, and that's the problem. You know, so you know it's not just death. Um, we talked about one percent. The other risk is these long term symptoms. And I know someone in their twenties who got uh, COVID last year. Um, very athletic, very physically fit, and seven, eight months later, still could not perform athletically at the level they did before they got COVID. So, you know, you, you have to be very careful contracting it. I know people who get it and can't smell or taste anything for four months, three, four months. Um, and so, and we don't know long-term what the actual infection might do to people, children or adults. Um, so, you know, the vaccine for most scientists is seen as a much safer way to develop immunity than getting the actual coronavirus. Is there an achievable middle ground between those that want to refuse the vaccine and to the public health officials that want herd immunity for the population? Is there something that we could agree upon so that there'll be some sort of compromise? I would say yes. I think you have to understand, uh, as I stated, you know, um, everybody eventually is going to contract this virus. If we go back to normal tomorrow and everybody just goes about their business and goes back to, as they have been doing this in the last couple of months, football games and, and restaurants and bars and pubs and churches are full. You know, it just takes one person in a room full of people to sneeze, cough, um, you know, over a 15 minute period and the virus spreads and people will catch it. There's only two ways to immunity. And one of them is to get coronavirus uh, through infection or to get a vaccine. So, in the interim, the middle ground to me would be, well, if you, you know, in order to keep the spread down, you could do testing. You know, one, you could check for natural immunity first and test and see if people have antibodies and other immune markers. You know, we could invest in that and say, hey, you know, you've had it. Here's the, here's the blood test. All right. Based on this profile of antibodies that you have, you probably have immunity. So if you don't want to get vaccinated, you don't have to. I think that's a viable option that we should look into to, you know, not you know, so that people who don't want to get it and don't need to get it don't have to get the vaccine. There's also the option of testing, regular testing. Um, in Europe, they use a lot of home testing. And if the home testing was basically free or very cheap here in the States, a lot more people would probably home test. And if they tested positive, they'd stay home and not go out and spread the virus. And of course, there are those validated tests. And by validated, I just mean, you know, kind of performed by health professionals in office You know, that could clear people to go to venues and, and to work. And we're doing that now with teachers and nurses in some parts of the country where they have to take a test weekly because they got an exemption from uh, from getting the vaccine. And that can work as well, because if you don't have the coronavirus, you can't spread the coronavirus. You can still contract it, but you can't really give it to someone else, obviously. So I think there's middle ground. There's ways we could work around this if we wanted to do it. And I think in the middle of this pandemic and after everything that we've been through as a nation and as a people and as a globe um, since the pandemic started, I think it would be wise to find middle ground. Can keeping the eight laws of health mitigate hospitalization for COVID-19? It can definitely reduce the risk. Um, nothing is 100%. I have, you know, whole food, plant-based, 
present truth friends who have gotten COVID and wound up in the hospital. Um, but there were eight laws of health. Vitamin D from the sun is correlated uh, with um, lower risk of getting it. And if you get COVID in your vitamin D levels, you're much less likely to get very sick from it. Obviously, you can supplement the vitamin D if you live in parts of the country or simply just don't get enough sunlight. Good fresh air is good for the lungs, good for the immune system. Exercise obviously boosts the immune system. Sleep. When we sleep is when our immune system does most of its most important work. So sleep is critical um, and getting enough rest. Obviously, uh, there's a study out of the UK that shows that vegans, vegetarians have lower risk of contracting and getting super sick from COVID. Um, and of course, trust in God, because stress has been associated with greater risk of not just of getting the virus because you don't make antibodies, specifically immunoglobulin A um, in the oral and nasal mucosa, which can catch and trap things before they get into your body. When you're stressed, you don't do that. So you're more likely to get colds and upper respiratory infections. But stress also causes you to, do, to have, be in a chronic high cortisol state. The hormone cortisol is always high in your body. When cortisol is high, you get cortisol resistance, and that causes your immune system to go into a hyperinflammatory state. And COVID works by causing um, uh, inflammation. It creates a cytokine storm, which is a hyperinflammatory state that causes much of the disease processes we see. So the eight laws of health can definitely help to reduce the risk of getting sick and super sick from COVID. Now, in social media, a lot of medical missionaries that I've seen in my feed would say that we need to emphasize the immune system. It's all about the immune system and strengthening it with the eight laws of health. Is it realistic for someone that is consistently unhealthy to try to implement the eight laws of health during this pandemic, or is it more viable for that individual to get the vaccine? I, I don't think it's an either or. Um, again, I think, especially if you have comorbidities like hypertension, diabetes, history of heart attacks, strokes, cancer, um, if you're on certain medications or if you eat certain diets, which is, I think, what you're referring to for a lot of these folk, the vaccine is very viable and a safe way to protect people up front. And I, honestly, I think that's really what the, the vaccine is super, its strength is, um, is protecting individuals in that situation. But again, even if you perfectly live a healthy life, it does not mean you can't get sick because there's also the concept of viral load. How much virus did you take in? And if you take in enough of it, it can overload your immune system, right? So we all have blood circulating in our bodies. We're very hydrated. But if somebody cuts you, I don't care how healthy you are, how well you ate, if you bleed enough, you'll die. And the immune system has its, its limits as well as to how much it can handle. So, you know, I think, you know, asking the average American to do a 180 degree turn in their lifestyle is a lot to do. And I, I've said this on other on other programs. I do wish the government mandated when the when the um, coronavirus pandemic broke out last year, I wish they had a mandated every family go out and do two, three miles of walking a day and getting so much sunlight or supplement with vitamin D. I wish they had mandated, you know, fruits and vegetables um, and, and drinking more water. Um, I wish they had, you know, and I wish, you know, they were able to mandate all of those things, um, because that would have helped, that would have helped protect the population and those medical missionaries. I think that's really the point they're making is that if people turn the problem as a doctor, I can tell you is there are many patients probably in some ways, maybe even a majority who, if you tell them, listen, we can reverse your diabetes. If you just stop eating animal products, um, processed foods, oils, 
even plant oils um, and highly uh, refined sugar-based products or, or filled products, we, we can turn it all around and reverse your diabetes. And there are a lot of people say, nah, I don't, I don't want to do that. Keep giving me the pills. So is it realistic? Not for everyone. But I do think that it's unfortunate that, you know, we as Adventists, we do need to reach the people who are willing to hear this because they're not hearing it anywhere else. So we do have an obligation to be a light and to share this this good news of our health message with all of those individuals. Now, there's been increasing cases of breakthrough infections, even with the vaccine. How is that happening? And how is that corresponding with someone's lifestyle? Well, there's a lot of lifestyle correspondence. So first of all, three to 6% of the U.S. population does not have a good immune system. So if we go back to that 400 million number, um, and you get and you say, you know, one percent is four million. Well, up to six percent, which would be 24 million people in America, won't have enough of an immune system if vaccinated to respond. Which is one of the reasons why you hear about herd immunity, because you need as many people immune as possible. So the virus just doesn't have anywhere to run to. So it can't get to those people whose immune systems don't work. And some of them, don't, it doesn't work for genetic reasons. That's a percentage. But many of them, if you eat enough sugar, your immune system won't work. If you don't sleep, your immune system won't work. So that means those who drink a lot of caffeine, it affects the, the quality of sleep they get. That will affect their immune system. Um, those with diabetes, their immune system isn't going to work as well. Cancer patients, um, people on chemotherapy, people on long-term steroids for autoimmune diseases, a lot of those people, their immune systems aren't going to work. They're going to be vaccinated and were vaccinated early in the process, many of them, but the immune system couldn't respond in a way that would protect them from the virus. So you do get these breakthrough cases. There's also a study I just read that smoking marijuana probably increases the risk of breakthrough cases in the vaccinated. Um, so we've legalized marijuana in much of the country. Um, and where it's not legal, it's still smoked pretty heavily. And for that reason, um, you're going to see a lot of breakthrough cases. However, you have to understand that even with the breakthrough cases, overall, in those breakthrough cases, when people get coronavirus, they still have much less of a disease than they probably would have had if they weren't vaccinated at all. How do you feel about the hostility certain segments of the medical missionary community has towards conventional medicine and physicians? You know, that's a good question. And I think I see that growing. And I see people quoting Ellen White a lot um, in her um, statements around drugs and medications and um, saying not to use drugs and medications. But I think you have to put that into context. Ellen White died in 1915 and um, penicillin wasn't discovered until 1928 and insulin uh, wasn't discovered a year or two after that. So you'd have to argue, and I would put this out to anyone, I mean, if your child was diagnosed with pneumococcal meningitis and a simple antibiotic would cure your child, permanently fix the problem, would you say I'm not going to give that child antibiotics that didn't exist in Ellen White's day? In fact, a lot of the medical practices that did exist in Ellen White's day are banned, outlawed, or no longer practiced. She, The medicine she saw is very different than the medicine we see um, today. Um, and a lot of medical missionaries are quoting those quotes, not realizing they don't necessarily apply to today, where if someone has an allergic reaction to a, a wasp sting or a peanut, we can give them epinephrine and actually prevent them from dying from something they're allergic to. That didn't exist in her day. Um, so you have to be very careful, being very so hyperjudgmental towards the medical community unless you really understand what we do. And understand, for those of us physicians who believe in the, our health message and the eight laws of health um, and natural remedies, um, 
you know, we you somebody has to understand medicine in order to get people off of these medications safely in many cases. You can't just stop someone on a blood thinner. You just stop someone on a blood thinner and within two weeks they can have a blood clot, pulmonary embolism and die. Um, so, you know, I, I get there. I get that they want this. I'll, I'll wrap this up by saying Ellen White's principles are correct. Ellen White is basically saying don't use symptomatic treatment with medications and not get to the core reason why people are sick. And I think that is very viable and a valid thing that all of us as health professionals have to do. But there's a lot of science to what's happening to people and why they're treated the way they're treated that I think it makes physicians, nurses, um, um, you know, all the way around dentists, you know, and others in the healthcare profession, um, you know, indispensable if you're going to really be able to help the people in the world with accepting the health message and overcoming disease. What has the pandemic revealed about our church? That our church is divided and easily divided. And here's the thing. Satan is playing the Seventh-day Adventist church and many people who claim to be present truth, they're being played like flutes. Last summer, our church was divided over race. And I don't know if you and I talked about that. I did a few podcasts on that. And it was the church was at war over race and racism and how we should respond to racism. And this summer, it was vaccines. And next summer, it'll be something else. I think our church is too easily divided. And Satan is winning because we are about to head into a true time of trouble. And the shaking is already beginning. And for us to fight and, and call each other names, I've, I've been called names around this vaccine thing and, and people ridicule and, and, you know, act as if you're stupid if you don't agree with them. And this is not Christ-like behavior. Um, and it's unfortunate because ultimately what we're after isn't perfect bodies. You know, some people think that they have the health message, so they have this invincible body. But God didn't call me to have an invincible body. God called me to have the character of Christ my body's going to be glorified when he returns. What I want is the character of Christ. And I don't know that our church is emphasizing character. So, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of arrogance and pride even around the health message. And, you know, I have the health message. So, you know, I'm like, it's like as if I'm, I'm invincible um, on the one hand. And there are other people who are, you know, basically saying, forget the health message and, and just do whatever we need to do from a medical standpoint to stay safe. And, um, you know, our, the division in the church leaves us powerless. This is what happened to the nine disciples while Christ was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the father of the demoniac boy came to them to have the demon cast out and they couldn't do it. They were divided. They were envious and jealous of the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, that went up into the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and they were left spiritually powerless. My appeal to everyone, medical missionary, non-medical missionary, meat eater in the church, whole food plant-based person in the church, remember that the purpose of the church for us as individuals is character development. So if you can't be kind and loving in a crisis, if you want to call people names, you know, start calling people Jesuits and demons and snakes. Does Christ behave like that? Absolutely not. And this division in the church is far more dangerous than any vaccine or non-vaccine platform. This division is going to cause, this is why Jesus says, and our enemies will be they of our own household. Because people will quickly turn on one another when the true time of trouble comes. If we can't be loving over this, this is almost a non-issue. This Delta wave was supposed to be so terrible, it's already fading. Um, is less of a surge than the previous surge that we had back in January. Um, so whatever is happening now is not as bad as what happened then, and it'll probably just keep getting better because, again, more and more people will either have immunity from having had COVID or having had the vaccine. The most vulnerable people, many of them, have already passed away, unfortunately. So this pandemic is going to move to being endemic pretty soon. 
And we're going to have to move on to the next issue. But we're going to limp out of this one because we couldn't be loving and kind and unified. And it really is that is what is is sad to me, is that the people of God were so quickly uh, able to turn on one another. And um, I think that's what's really unfortunate about this crisis. And it could be that although we're seeing these events fulfilling right before our eyes, that we'll be walking around the wilderness for another few years because of our division. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I, and I want to say to the people, people who disagree with me, I love them. I have no problem with you disagreeing with me. Right. I mean, I don't have a problem with that because biblically everyone didn't always agree. You study the Bible from cover to cover. The people, there were always differences of, of opinion on things all the way through the Bible. David and Jonathan disagreed on whether or not Saul hated David. Turned out David was right. Paul uh, and Peter disagreed on many things. And Peter even writes about Paul as if his writings being hard to understand. Paul and Barnabas didn't always agree, but they loved one another. David and Jonathan loved one another. Peter and Paul loved one another. Um, Paul and Barnabas loved one another. And that's why the church was so successful in, in the New Testament era and in the early church period. Um, because love didn't just vanish because of differences of opinion. And that's what I've seen happen. And this is the work of Satan. And unfortunately, there are many people in the church, and it, it goes back to pride and arrogance, and I'm always right. And some people just want people to look up to them, and, and you know they're going to say whatever they need to say to get their base to respond. And I think that's unfortunate, because when the real time of trouble comes, this is not it yet. When the real time of trouble comes, and you have that kind of a, a heart, um, it's going to be easy for many of those people to turn away from God and to receive the mark of the beast. Dr. Walsh, thank you so much for joining us in this podcast and sharing your wisdom with us. And this episode is definitely a blessing. Can you close us out with a word of prayer? Absolutely. Father God, we thank you for uh, Peter and for his uh, ministry through this podcast. We thank you for your church and for your people. And Lord, we thank you for health and safety that you've given us throughout this pandemic. But Lord, we do want to just end by praying for your church, for unity in your church. Lord, help us to be the type of Christians who can um, disagree without being disagreeable, who can love one another and who can pray for one another no matter what's going on. Help us, Father God, not to be arrogant Christians because there's no such thing as an arrogant Christian. But Lord, let us be humble and teachable that we might develop the character of Christ and be the light that shines in this world through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.